I've got one of them things. One of them things? Yeah. Basically, I have a machine that means I can play Pacific Drive. When oh, I'm, one of those machines. When I'm meant to be doing things that aren't playing Pacific Drive. Um, yeah, now, yeah. Because yeah. I've, I've got it on my PS5. Uh, <laughs> if I had it on, like, Switch or Steam Deck, no, nay bother, I could play Pacific Drive all the time. Um, but with the PS5, I'd be bound by the TV. Ordinarily, mm. not nay more. I don't have to do the podcast this week. I've got special dispensation. And that special dispensation is um, playing Pacific Drive. I wish I'd known about this in advance, because I I would also have applied for the Pacific Drive special dispensation, but I I didn't get my paperwork in in time, so I guess I've got to be here doing a stupid show. I mean, it's all red type, isn't it? It's all red type. Where are I, 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 I just didn't get my forms in quick enough, and now I gotta, I gotta do a show rather than the only thing I want to be doing right now, which is playing Pacific Drive, the only video game. I tell you what I'm doing right now. I'm playing, I'm playing Pacific Drive, um, and yeah. I tell you, I tell you what that game is. It's the only one. It's the only video. It's game. It's the only video game. It's Pacific Drive. Um, yeah, I'm sorry to tell you, everyone, but they retroactively got rid of all other video games. It's just this one now. It's been decided that there was a meeting, <laughs> uh, an ombudsman was there just to make sure that it was official, and it was declared that Pacific Drive is the only game. You know that Pacific Drive is an important video game because you, Steph, started the show by bringing up a video game unprompted, you see. That's true. That's how, that is how video games Pacific Drive is, is that I video games before I had to video games. And normally, <laughs> you know, I've got to be dragged kicking and screaming to video games. But this time, I brought the video, I had, I had a bushel of video games in my pocket already. And, and it is Pacific Drive flavoured. Um, I've got a PlayStation Portal. You um, do? That's, that's the other thing. Uh, the only real game I played this... W- I mean, I played more Banishers, but I've not really got anything to say about it. Mm. I need to finish that before reviewing it, but Pacific Drive came out, so I've just been doing it that did. instead. Yeah, as as someone who is trying to work on a big, stupid, silly project this week um, that is taking up a lot of time, that's difficult, because all I want to be doing is Pacific Drive, which isn't, you know, sitting down and video editing. Right. I want to be doing Pacific Drive, Pacific though. Drive. Um, so Pacific Drive. Pacific Drive. We will be talking about the game in detail, obviously. Um, but yeah, I I thought I might as well kick off just by talking about the um, bit of plastic that I bought. Yeah. Because you had one of these, or you've got yeah. one of these. Um, I've, I've got one of these. I, I use it when I want to be playing the PS5, but I don't want to be hogging the TV, and I can't be asked to, like, fiddle about with one of those, like, Bluetooth controllers that clamps around the phone. Yeah, yeah. It's got very niche use- uses. And I hemmed and hawed on getting it because I like portable things. But I was like, the uses for that are so niche. I don't know if yeah. I can justify it. And immediately after it went for sale and, and sold out everywhere, <laughs> I was in multiple situations where that particular niche right. was relevant. <laughs> uh, so they're, they're on sale for like silly money on eBay as usual. Not not to the degree of like big consoles and stuff, but still like... More than they should be. The joy of way scalping. More. Yeah. Yeah. But I was... I wandered into CX earlier this week and it was just to... Um, I needed a new controller, just a regular controller for the PlayStation because the one I've got's been acting up. Like It was just mi- uh, misbehaving and something was just mm. fucked inside it. So I needed a new one and then just saw a PlayStation Portal for sale, like, secondhand. Um, like, 
for pretty cheap. So yeah, yeah I just thought, well, fuck it. Like I was in those niche situations, and and it has proven somewhat um, useful already with regards to like not being able to use the TV as readily and that. Um, hmm. It's just a convenient thing where you just press the power button and it does everything and it connects and you don't have yeah. to think about it and and it's ready to do that thing where I just need to not be on this screen for a minute. Yeah, getting it cheaper secondhand was a good call. This is not a rush out and buy at launch thing. Oh yeah. And it's not like, you know, I can't pretend I'm super impressed by it. Like it's not brilliant and it's not like one to one like playing banishers I noticed it was sort of laggy a bit. Uh, uh, yeah, I I will note anything you're playing online, it, it you have a worse experience. Um, particularly things like even if you're just downloading a game in the background, it doesn't like doing the consoles online stuff and also using the online to to do the portal stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's just a uh, you know it's it's not ideal, mm. and so I'm not super impressed with it. I don't dislike it. It's something I have that fills very particular needs and mm. it does them just about adequately so i i don't feel like i've wasted my money but it's not like a, it's some mega purchase that i'm like super thrilled with it is functional out of 10 mm. um so that's that's the, I, I tell you the one thing i do like about it and it's not really anything that really speaks to its merits as a machine is the light strips that are on the DualShock. Yes. It's fun that they're on the sides, either side of the screen, so that you can see them more. So when it changes mm. colour, it's more noticeable than when it's like on the yeah near the back of the controller. It's it's a bit more like if you've got one of those TVs set up with LED strips that sort of shine light onto the wall based yeah. on what's like at the edges of your screen. It's a bit more of that effect. Yeah, and that sort of um, just adds a nice little atmosphere when playing. Other than that, it really is just a very, just a, a thin little tablet with two halves of a controller glued on. It really is. Yeah. Uh, fun fact, people have hacked it to be able to play game, like some games that aren't natively, you know, that aren't streaming on it, to natively run games. People got it running PSP emulators. Excellent. Yeah. Which begs the question, PlayStation, why didn't you let this thing be a PSP as well? Yeah, well, I mean... <laughs> Everyone should always be asked that. <laughs> e even if they're not Sony, e even if they're right, they've not made a game product, even if they work in like fast food, whatever products they put out, you could quite rightly ask them, why is that not also a PSP? <laughs> exactly. Sort it out, Burger King. Yeah, it's it's a good it's a functional device for I just want to be able to keep playing Pacific Drive at all times, even if other things are using the TV, because I don't want to ever stop playing Pacific Drive. It's the only video game. Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, as I'm talking right now, I am exploring the swamps of Pacific Drive. Yeah, I, I you're looking for swamp corals. Get me some swamp corals and some marsh eggs and mm. whatnot. I love this game. Yeah, should we should we explain what this game is? Also, hi Conrad. I know we've been talking around you. Hi. Oh no, that's all right. That's okay. Don't don't We're mind me. About I'm a video just busy. Game, Conrad. No, no, it's fine. I'm busy playing Pacific Drive. <laughs> yeah, have you have you been playing it too this oh, week? Oh yeah, yeah. That's the oh, only hell thing yeah. I've played oh. this week. I'm so glad we've all been playing Pacific Drive. This would have been really awkward if if any of us hadn't been playing Pacific Drive. 
Yeah, I mean, considering this is <laughs> episode one of the official Pacific Drive fan cast, um, it would be weird if one third of, of the podcast hadn't played what this yeah. podcast is about. So Pacific Drive. Oh yeah, uh, it's it's a game, it's a game it? about it's, it's a game about driving your car in a weird paranormal nuclear exclusion zone where shit's a little bit weird and held together by glowing orbs. And if you go get the glowing orbs, suddenly the world doesn't hold together very well. G- go do a survival crafting game where the only important oh, thing that? is Whoa. keeping your piece of shit car moving. What's a shaggy scrambler? Oh, a shaggy Whoa. scrambler. Sorry. I'm... <laughs> so. The... <laughs> The the thing about Pacific Drive is um, not only have I been too busy playing Pacific Drive to play anything else, I've been too busy playing Pacific Drive to play Pacific Drive. I got so caught up in just going out on runs and getting stuff to make my car nice that I've managed to spend about 20 hours playing and I've done about two missions. So I'm discovering new things like as I play. And I'm playing as I talk. So I just saw a big gooey black orb thing with red glowy patches on it. And then it, it did things. I don't know what it's done. But it I think it latched. What do I do if it latches? Oh, I've got to leave you to work that out on your own. That's I, kind of the mystery. So, so many things in this game latch. Lots of things in this game do latch. <laughs> oh, God, it yeah. blew up on my car. <laughs> Oh mate, oh yeah. mate! I've just I've I've already bloody poured all of my fixing jizz on my car. Hang on, sorry, I've just got to see if I've, got, I've still I've still got a pot of fixing jizz. It's okay. That's all right then. Yeah. So for anyone who's not played this, um, you're playing as a person who's driven into a zone of weird shit. Uh, it feels like the equivalent of. What if Chernobyl's exclusion zone was scientists were doing some shit and we don't know quite what happened, but reality started to fall apart if you get too close to wherever they did shit? And if you enter, you probably can't leave. Uh, And upon entering this weird zone, you end up getting maybe psychically bonded to a car. Don't worry, sometimes this happens. People get very obsessed with inanimate objects and maybe disappear if they get too into them, but that's fine. I'm sure that won't happen to you. You won't get really, really, really attached to your car. You're going to spend the next 20 hours customizing. I mean, that's you- the you'll thing. You'll probably be okay. I, it's truly the best part of this. Right? Like, yeah. Like, I'm yeah. very emotionally attached to the car. I'm obsessed they, with it. They did, they did the thing where they said that your character is going to be fixated on the core mechanic of the game. And yes, of course you are. It's the core mechanic of the game. It's fucking mm-hmm. brilliant. Oh shit! <laughs> Sorry, I. Did... Whenever anyone would like, if anyone asks me to describe this game in a sentence, I'll just say what exactly just happened to me right there. You can close the car boot on your own fucking head I, and take I, damage. Yes, you can. That. Yeah, you can. I just did it for the fiftieth time. Fuck this yeah. game. <laughs> so, yeah, look, on paper, this is a game I wouldn't enjoy. This is not usually my genre of game. Mm. I'm not a big person on first-person survival crafting game where the, the fundamental loop is go get materials, build stuff to incrementally upgrade, to go back out to get more materials to come back, and just sort of loop it. 
And I really do think the car is the reason I feel differently about this, because there's something about externalizing that progress you're making mm-hmm. and making it be about something that you can customize and tweak in a way that is like fundamental. Uh, it it is personalized. It's a little bit ship of Theseus, you know. You're replacing every single part of this thing over time, but it's still, you know, is it still the car you started with? Of course it is. I love my car. It's something you build and invest in and are proud of, and it makes it adds a level of emotional investment into looking after it that makes it more bearable than when you're doing the exact same kind of maintenance and survival babysitting for your your player character in a regular survival game. By externalizing all of those survival needs onto this inanimate object that is also a very useful tool for you and is something you're personalizing and, and you know, people in real life get very attached to their cars. By giving you that that external attachment, it's made the survival mechanics that I normally find unbearable in a game genuinely compelling in this one. Because I'm not, like, angrily trying to find water to keep putting in the perpetually thirsty player character, uh, making me feel like I'm this sort of, like, constantly needy, weak, ineffective character that I'm playing. My needs are more or less fine, except for health, but my car is my baby, and that needs looking after. It's It's got a fragile panel. It's less like you're babysitting yourself to play the game. Hmm. And yeah. more like you are just constantly working to improve this car that not only do you need, you've become proud of. I think that there's a symbiosis to the whole thing with the car, because like not only is this... The thing that is keeping you alive and the only thing a lot of the time between you and, like, taking overtime radiation damage. But also, they've done a lot of really smart little things to make me... To personify this inanimate object. And it's things like, let's say I've left the car to go scavenge some resources and the car starts getting attacked. A little meter that's telling me what direction my car is and how far away it is starts going red. And I start hearing the the, the horn honk in the distance. And my instinct goes oh no my baby's being attacked quick go back and save them and it's just like little mechanical things about the car that give it this real personality that make me want to protect it like a like a newborn infant that is innocent and and fragile but also it's the only reason i'm alive and that balancing act makes me care so much about it for me a lot of it is the ritual like mm. th- so much of of this experience of moving through the world is sort of ritualized you know you'll drive to a place and then you'll find something that you want to explore or examine or whatever so you're going to get out of the car first you got to put the car in park are you going to turn the engine off did you leave your lights on don't Mm -hmm. leave your lights on because your battery will drain and then you get out the car and you go do your thing and then you come you get back in your car you start your car up you put it in gear, and on you go. And it's that repetitive ritual of those tasks, doing those simple little things and how they just become rote um, as part of the process. And they're not annoying. They're just the thing that you do. And that is deeply satisfying, and it feels like it builds a connection with the activity that you're doing very, very deeply. Yeah, for anyone who's not played this, I think it's worth noting, like... Yeah, did we this... fully explain, like, 
how the game plays or anything yeah, yeah, like that. that. I we've we've sort of we I've we've overviewed a little, but yeah. So the the gist of this is is like the car you've got. Uh, requires a pretty steep amount of micromanagement, uh, and it can be a little and uh, overwhelming at first because there's a lot of mechanics, and not all of them are explained to you necessarily, and there's a lot to take on board. Your car is made up of a huge number of like individual pieces and panels that can be built and upgraded and damaged individually, and can be repaired and things like this. Uh, inside the car itself, you have to do like you have to open the door, get in the car, take off the parking brake move forward, separately control your lights and your windscreen, look to the side for where you've got your little map and things like that. Um, And the gist of what you're doing is you're going out on these excursions into the zones to get a bunch of resources, some of which will require you to have specific types of tools to access them, things like you might need a pneumatic hammer to break a lock off a building, or a sort of spinning saw blade to break something down into component parts. You are trying to carry as much of this stuff back at the end of a run as you can with, like, you've got a backpack you can hold stuff in, but you also have, like, storage in the car. And each of these journeys you're going on, generally speaking, your end condition is to collect a bunch of these reality anchors, which are glowing orbs, and when you grab one, the world will start falling apart a little bit. And if you grab enough of them, you'll get enough energy to open a portal, which is just like a fucking huge laser beam from the sky that you have a limited amount of time to get to, while running away from basically the Fortnite storm shrinking in on you. Uh, that will sometimes, it'll arrive if you're on the run to the portal at the end, it'll arrive if you hang around in an area too long, uh, getting into that portal will warp you back. You've now got new materials to upgrade the car, go further, do more, get further out into the zones, enjoy more of the weird surrealist narrative. Yeah, it does a lot of survival things that I normally hate, or, or would hate a game for doing, but because of things we've explained with the car, and other reasons, like, because A, it does a lot of it really well, and there's also a lot of quality of life options to Mm. tinker with it so there's a lot that this game does that i ordinarily would would despise but tolerate or there's an option to undo it um yeah the accessibility and the um, general gameplay options have a lot of different ways of tinkering with some of the survival elements some of the stuff is more traditionally accessibility like uh motion sickness mitigating stuff which I've really appreciated as someone who usually gets really motion sick at these kind of games. They've really helped. Uh, Some of them are more like traditional uh, gameplay difficulty assists. Some of them are just things like, do you want to, when you get back after a successful run, you would usually go stop in your garage and manually heal your health, um, refuel the car, refill its battery. Do you want to just automate that when you get back and have just like one less job? That one I immediately turned on. The just like fixing everything up for you on a successful run, um, brilliant option. I like that that was a thing, so I've switched that on. I've played long periods where I've just wanted to play it a little more casually, so like I've turned off the storms, so I can go in and just like collect materials at my leisure and not feel so rushed. Yeah, I didn't notice the uh, the setting to have it automatically like fix up your shit. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I could. 
I don't know I could bring myself to do it because I get so much satisfaction out of the process. I generally agree with you. Can I can I tell you one instance in which I, I put on the auto fix up my vehicle? Please. I found out in the wild a single roll of flame, go faster flame decals for my car. And it was literally only enough to coat my vehicle once. And I had this moment of, right now if this piece of my car gets destroyed, I'm gonna lose the go faster stripes when I built a new part to put here. And I don't have more go faster stripes to put on it. And... I was like, do I do do I just put on the auto repair when I get back? Because I'm just like, I just just in this moment, I'm not ready to let go of go faster stripes. I'll 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 get to that point and I'll be accepting and I'll let I'll let it go when it goes. But right now, I want my go faster stripes. I'm just for a minute. I am not happy about limiting the paints and the decals. I wish the cosmetics were unlimited. Yeah, I'd I, be a lot more okay with losing bits of my car if that were the case. Yeah, it adds nothing to me. It's the one element where I'm like, this doesn't need realistic survival mechanic governance. People want to paint their cars a nice colour. It could take forever for them to find a colour they want. And then, like you say, they could maybe get a full coating once. I wish I could use materials to synthesise more of an existing something like that. cosmetic so something, I yeah, like And like to be fair, I did get over that feeling and I was like, you know what? It's an excuse for me to try out other cosmetics and to, to let let change happen. You see, I had the other cause cause we end up in the same situation as we do with the weapon durability in um mm. Hyrule uh, at this point. But it's I had the opposite problem where it's like I'm someone that likes to change colours, change costumes in games often but the moment you tell me that you've put a limiter on it and i might not get it again i become scared to change it like like you said like i've got a whole bunch of parts on my car that are now fragile so they need replacing and i kind of don't want to because what if i don't get enough pink paint again you you are a hundred percent not wrong to feel that way because like the the rejection of i feel like you're forcing me to change and i don't like that and i i can understand that feeling even if i haven't landed there ultimately in my feelings i had that for a little bit and i had to i had to to go through it and i can't blame you for being there <laughs> yeah i uh i have no such attachment mm. to any of that i on the car is a functional tool for me. I'm not a cosmetics guy in games anyway. I I hmm. choose the default option and I I play with that because I'm a straight white man and we're boring. Um <laughs> like it I just I don't care what it looks like. I'm there to do a job. So it it's never never been a concern. In fact, if anything, I've got a trunk full of cosmetic crap that I picked up on this run that I'm on now. I'm like, "Great, this is just wasting space in my trunk. I'm just going to pitch it because I do not care." The collector's impulse isn't even that strong for me, that I'm going to keep it on the basis of just keeping it. It's meaningless. But I can see why it would frustrate people who are actually interested in, like, caring about this car on a visual perspective. I'm I'm not that guy. I don't think you understand, Conrad, right? I could give my car a potato. I could put a potato on an aerial. It, it's got a little light on it. It's like the potato GLaDOS from Portal 2. It's a little potato on... battery, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got a decal 
that puts little black lines on all the edges so that the car looks a bit self-shaded. <laughs> this is important. This is this is what video games exist for. Currently, I painted my car yellow and slapped a load of the the I forget the name of the lab that's in the game, but oh yeah, I made it look like uh, one of their cars. Mm. But I've got a mystery machine, like hippie font style uh, decal, to try out. I got backup pink paint, so I I feel like I can experiment with paint for a bit. Um, but yeah, I, I really do wish that they had a way to, once you've unlocked a paint or a decal, like make it so we can get it again. Because I've hoarded a load of it, even stuff I might not use just because I might not get it again. And that's not how I want to play this game. Yeah. But gosh, I I love the, the, the weird little world this game has built. Like, I'm very invested in all of these characters that, for anyone who hasn't played it, your your main interactions with other people are basically over a radio, uh, not really interacting in person, and you've got a couple of groups that are in this weird zone for a couple of different reasons, different things they're invested in. I think they're all really charmingly written. Like, I've, I've found a lot of, there's been a lot of fun, a lot of uh, well well done mystery in it. The game is well written overall. Yeah, the the writing has been really solid. The characters are nice, the story's interesting. The fact that even really basic crafting components have funny item descriptions, that's a good game. Mm. I like a game that, that is so well written that even the most boring, mundane item descriptions have jokes in them. It's it, It's got a system kind of like the Metroid Prime style go scan things, but all of the, the, the data logs you get for scanning things are like research journal notes and like people's very humanly written observations of the weird shit they bumped into yeah like it's not just um it doesn't all just come from one person and it's not all flatly Mm. dryly written like scanning the anomalies like the the dangerous things in particular Mm. just having people describe their like first encounters with them and half of the time you don't actually learn anything about what you've scanned (laughs) you just learned how badly it fucked up the last person to have seen it Mm. um and that that's a, a nice sometimes i wish i was given a little more practical information sometimes i'll scan something and be like what the fuck is that and then i'll read its description and be like what the fuck is that but i do like how flavorful it can be um Mm. some of them are really evocative the one um the one about the 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 buzzsaw anomalies that sort of cut through the ground uh, Mm. that just ends with oh my god they've all escaped like just just really (laughs) it just paints a really nice backstory to everything yeah i'm just stuck in this game's loop I'm in no rush to complete it. Mm-hmm. I'm just enjoying spending time in these little, maybe 45-minute dives into this weird little world. Yeah, it's it's amazing just how effortlessly it's been taking up all my time. Doing a lot of stuff that I would normally find annoying and time-wasting. It's doing it in a world that is compelling enough that I want to explore it, and it's doing it mm. all in such an elegant, responsive fashion with so many quality-of-life options. It's a survival game that is has been tailored, either incidentally or in some cases, practically by myself in the options, to how I would want to play a game like this. Mm. So yeah, really pleased with it, and, and very confident 
in saying it's a game of the year contender, even though it's only February, you know? I'm feeling the same. It's in that, like, hi-fi rush for me last year realm of, I'm going to be surprised if I'm not thinking about this at the end of the year. Very often, I'll play a game early in a year, and it will be the game that I have to mentally earmark, where I've just got to be like, this is a game that so many people are going to forget about at the end of this year when mm. when awards time rolls around. I need to not make that mistake. I need to be yeah. one of the people that actually remembers this. And this is in that bracket. I think, sadly, this game is going to get a lot of snobs by the end of the year. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. When it is absolutely, like... Everything about it screams darling, you know? Yeah. I mean, look, any day now it's going to get buried by Final Fantasy VII Remake Part Two. Well, today, yeah. as of the time people listen to this, so... I mean, yeah. as, as of this moment, I have review code has just arrived, so I'm literally downloading that right now. <laughs> but I'm going to do my best to, to keep making time for Pacific Drive, because it is the only video game. That it is. Yeah. Um. Any other thoughts on that? Or, or is, is that us, Pacific... Driven out. <laughs> I have uh, nothing else. Yeah. I think I'm well, good. Well, in that case, I've got a couple of other things I played this week. Uh, have, have either of you played anything else? No. Or has it just been this? Uh, yeah, the only other one is one I can't yet say anything about. Um, uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah. it's just, just Pacific Drive. Well, I've got a couple of things I'm going to quickly go through that I I played a bit of this week. I apparently did play other things than just Pacific Drive. Conrad, I know this was one you were looking at checking out. Um, I played some Geometry Survivor, which is a a Vampire Survivor-style game that was on Switch for like two quid that I saw this week. It's a sort of top-down perspective, spaceships trying to fight each other, but it's just sort of the neon outlines of the spaceships, sort of... Well, it's like Geometry Wars. I that's, was going to say, what it's, I, it's... Yeah, they're going for Geometry... Like, I, I wanted to... It's not official, like, though, is it? No, it is right. not from the Geometry Wars people, but they're trying to ape Geometry Wars. That was my, my question about it. Yeah, I was going to try and describe it without just saying <laughs> it, it's trying to be Geometry Wars, but there's no real way to get around it. It wants to be Geometry Wars, kind of, but a Vampire Survivors. And I've put a good few hours into it, and I have very little feelings about it. There's nothing it does badly. On paper, it technically does all of the things that a Survivor's game should do, mm-hmm. and it doesn't do any of them badly, but I just can't give bring myself to give a shit about it. It is weirdly soulless. It is weirdly lacking in any kind of personality. Yeah. It feels incredibly by the numbers. The visual style, undoubtedly they did nail what they were trying to do. It does look good. The, the visual style looks kind of how you want it to, but... There is nothing about this game that I latched onto in any way, shape, or form. This is not a Survivor's game that I'm going to be thinking about a month from now. It's it's just not going to exist in my head. You jump into the one environment, and you level up, and you get your weapons, and your weapons all feel very, very... They feel very derivative of things you've seen in other Survivor's-type games, but worse executions of them... Like, none of them feel particularly satisfying. None of them feel like they interact with other tack options you've got in, in interesting ways. 
it doesn't feel like your character grows in a way that's really within your control. It's just sort of mechanically a competent, perfectly fine, nothing wrong with it, I guess, survivor's game. I really have so little to say about it. <laughs> it's done nothing wrong, but I would I would rather play a flawed but more interesting survivor's game. Yeah. Yeah. I would rather play something that has interesting ideas but doesn't execute on them perfectly. Um, like, I would rather play shit like Choo Choo Survivors, which is a deeply flawed game I recognise, but at least that was doing something unique and different that I, I could be interested yeah. in. Well, I mean, I'll tell people a, a, a 5 out of 10 game is worse than a 2 out of 10 game. Because a 2 out of 10, you've got to be pretty fucking interesting to be that bad. To be a, to be a straight down the middle 5... You, that's oblivion. To be boring is worse than being shit. Yes. So I, I, I just can't recommend it because it's just, it's, for a game as colourful as it is, it feels incredibly beige. Um. Yeah. But I did play a couple of other things this week that were a bit more interesting. I played some pocket card jockey ride on. So this was... I believe originally a 3DS game and then an Apple Arcade game oh, and now it's on Switch. Yeah, I've heard of this. Yeah, so the gist of this is you're playing as someone who really wants to be a jockey, wants to ride horses, but you're fucking shit at riding horses. And some guy who owns a horse gives you your one chance to, you know, to, to test out riding a horse and you get kicked off the back of the horse and trampled to death. And you're dead. And at the pearly gates, an angel comes to you and basically says... I'm feeling generous today. Do you want to go? I'll send you back to Earth, but you're going to have to achieve your greatest dream. And your response is, well, my greatest dream is to become a jockey, but I'm terrible at it. Well, okay, do you have any hobbies? Anything you are good at? Well, I'm good at playing solitaire. Fuck it. Back to reality. You now play solitaire while on horseback, and the better you do at solitaire, the faster your horse will go. And you'd better become the greatest jockey in the world, or when you die next time, you're going straight to hell. Brilliant. That is the plot that is your excuse to do fast-paced solitaire to make chibi little horses run fast. And mechanically, all it really is is a version of solitaire. You have your, like, stacks of cards at the top, uh, and you can see what ones are sort of below them in the stack, and you have one card, and you're trying to take cards off of the stacks that are one higher or one lower than the currently available card, and your aim is to try and get every card off of all of the stacks very quickly. If you get stuck in a position where none of the, the top cards on the stacks are ones that you can take, you can flip a fresh card over from the deck, but you only have a limited number of times you can do that per solitaire you're trying to solve. And there is mechanics around the solitaire that are things like you can position yourself in different parts of the pack to have easier or more difficult solitaire challenges. The reason you might go for easier ones is you get a very, very big boost to your horse's speed if you complete the entire solitaire, leaving no cards behind. But if you manage to do that on a harder solitaire, you will get more speed for your horse. So you're, you're trying to balance how difficult of a solitaire am I actually confident I will get to complete alongside positioning yourself to, like, pick up activatable cards, but positioning yourself further out on the track on corners to get those cards might exhaust your horse faster, and you're trying to maintain your stamina and energy, so that at the end you do a real-time duck-and-weave-between-the-other-horses try-and-win-the-horse race. 
And all of this takes place in the space of maybe five minutes. You're, you're doing like three, three or four rounds of fast-paced solitaire, repositioning your horse, on you go. It's very mechanically simple. The loop is play solitaire under time pressure, watch cute horses, select your next race and maybe buy some power-ups, do more solitaire, race more horses. And it's a fairly repeating, ongoing loop. I can see why this game did really well on mobile, because it's... You do you do your set of races, and you've got like three or four years for that horse, then they go to a farm, you can make children from the horses you've already had, you start with a new horse, you do another three or four years of horse races. It's very do the same thing over and over, but the writing is very charming, it's got, it's got a very good silly sense of humour going throughout it. The visual presentation is great. If you like doing silly little puzzles and watching a horse go fast, it's quite fun. It's not a game that is going to be for everyone, but as something to be like, I've got maybe 10 minutes to do something on the train that I don't want to think about too much, I'm having a weird amount of fun with it. I believe there is a demo for it on Switch, which should be a good way to get a sense of whether this is for you or not, but I'm having a good time with it. It's It's been pretty fun. I played a couple of other things I can very quickly talk about. Uh, there is a demo on Switch right now for a game called Pepper Grinder. It feels like it's going to be something pretty special. It is a side-scrolling pixel art um, platforming game that feels very much like Celeste in that way of being a very tightly controlled side-scrolling platformer with very difficult challenges but very forgiving checkpointing so that you're not losing progress as you're trying to complete these these sort of very challenging puzzle rooms. The difference with this one is that your main platforming mechanic is you have a drill, and you can drill through certain kinds of dirt, and as you're leaving the dirt you can kind of dash and try and... Essentially, it feels like a game where you're underwater. You're trying to keep this state of flow as you dash between different pockets of rock, propelled forward by your little spinning drill, to do difficult platforming but with good generous checkpointing to avoid frustration. It feels fantastic to play. It is a game that I would be okay with getting very difficult because it controls as nicely as it does. It controls as responsibly as it does. It's definitely put this on my radar as a game I want to come back to when it fully releases. The The demo is feeling pretty positive. And the other one I played was uh, Penny's Big Breakout, which is the 3D platforming game from the team that made Sonic Mania, before they got into a bit of a scuffle with Sega and decided not to make more Sonic games. Penny's Big Breakout is a game that feels purpose-designed for people who are more coordinated than me to do very good-looking gameplay. On the surface, it feels like one of those sort of like typical 3D mascot platformers. The gimmick is that you have a yo-yo, and you can use it for things like uh, whipping at enemies to attack them. You can sort of ride on it like a little vehicle. You can swing in midair by sort of uh, throwing it out while you're in the middle of a jump. And it works beautifully. All of the, the, the stuff for moving around the world flows together very nicely. My favourite thing about it so far is that... It really does feel like it solves a problem I've had with Sonic for a long time, which is disincentivizing moving quickly. Um, because you have the problem in Sonic where you realistically need to be slowing down quite frequently to pick up rings, oops, you hit an enemy and you dropped all your rings, you're going to need to stop what you're doing and go back and pick those up. 
All of these little things that are designed to slow down your ability to just flow through the level. In this, the thing that would slow you down, your sort of health equivalent, works almost the opposite of uh, how rings function in Sonic. Narratively, you tried to enter a, a, a talent show and your yo-yo is alive and it ate the king's clothes and now you're going to be arrested for embarrassing the king and you're on the run. The equivalent to rings is there are little tiny penguin guards around the level that will try and grab onto you. And if there's ever ten of these penguins grabbed onto you and holding onto you, you are captured, taken off to the king to be thrown in prison. But the way that you get these penguins off of you is not by stopping and slowing down and by getting rid of your momentum. It's quite the opposite. It's things like dashing, double jumps, swinging through the air on your yo-yo, spin attacks while you're moving. All the things that you're already doing to navigate the level are the things you can be doing to get rid of the fail state and keep yourself moving. That little change makes a big difference to the feel of the levels. It it really feels like, no matter what happens, just keep enjoying moving through the level. If you stop and think about it too much, that's when they're going to get you. Keep using our fun movement mechanics. And that works really well. There is a lot of character and personality, the music in it's fantastic. It is a really, really good, solid first um, 3D platformer from them. It's it's real neat. I'm 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 glad that it is as as good as it is. So yeah, I think that's everything I've played this week. Do we want to talk a little bit about newsy stuff before we finish? Sure thing. Yeah. Why do they call these ones bubblegum buddies? They're no buddies of mine. <laughs> these little no, pink, they're not not your friends. These little pink balls with little pink sticky string. Little pink pulling things out my hand. This game's amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. Uh, newsy stuff this week. Um, this one is... is Look, I, I don't know an, a lot about the WWE. What I do know comes from, from, from you, Steph, generally. Uh, but there's a WWE 2K24 game coming out this year. And uh, probably not a surprise, a couple of wrestlers are not going to be in this one, including Vince McMahon and Brock Lesnar. Oh! Uh, really? That's strange. Yeah. How, how odd. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I, I, you'd have asked me, I'd have said that uh, that young Brock Lesnar, his wrestling career is going from strength to strength. He he broke the Undertaker's streak. How could he not be a poster boy? Well, this year's, you know, this year's WWE game is specifically meant to be a, a focus on everything of in the last 40 years of WrestleMania. And originally, uh, Brock Lesnar was in in the the art for the for the game in the in the game's cover art, but he's you not there so. anymore. He, he's, you know, he's not there anymore. Pretty big presence at WrestleMania does uh, does Brock Lesnar have, and that uh, that that Vince McMahon fellow as well. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 from what I hear, fairly relevant to WrestleMania over its forty yeah. year history. I don't suppose. Now this is just me, like you don't stabbing suppose. in the butt in the dark. But you don't suppose it could be anything to do with 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 Vince McMahon sex trafficking women in his employ, specifically in at least one instance trafficking a woman to Brock Lesnar, allegedly. Uh, I mean, do you I think mean, that might have had something to do with it? I mean, I mean, I could see a world in which that had something to do with it. Uh, I could see a world in which those are connected. 
But yes, the playable roster of characters has scrubbed both of them, and it's currently unknown if they'll appear in any capacity other than playable characters, but the fact they're being scrubbed out of artwork sure does imply they're probably not going to be in it at all. Yeah, I should would they probably, you know... But the real question is, should they be in the WWE Hall of Fame? Because look, look, right, look, I know that he did terrible things, but... That is how 99% of all wrestling discussions start now. (laughs) They all start with the phrase, I know he did a terrible thing, but... And then it's normally about how, you know, they should be in the Hall of Fame or they should have their their accomplishments recognised. And I'm not just talking about Chris Benoit. I'm talking about so many wrestlers now. And so many people who, who, I guess, just still live in a world easy enough where they can... Be like, yeah, this person is a murderer, this person's a rapist, this person is, you know, truly a a terrible human being. But let's separate art from artist, all of that bullshit. I do Mm. like that we're seeing a bit less of it with with Vince. This Um, is a hard one. But Vince is a really hard one to do that with. Like, he's responsible for all of it. He can't be cut out. I mean, they couldn't even do that with Chris Benoit. Like, they tried to unperson Chris Benoit following, you know, everything that happened. But in the end, you know, especially once they brought in the WWE Network, they had to give up. He's he's too baked in. He's the entire main event and conclusion of of, of an entire WrestleMania. He's on a bunch of them. He's in main events, main matches, all across the network. And... And that's Chris. Vince McMahon is that plus dozens of more appearances, plus personal involvement in all of the shows. You can't cut the material out with them. Plus his family, like his family is entirely woven throughout it. Stephanie and all of that shit with her in the 90s. And yeah. You're not going to be able to unperson them. Hmm. However... That doesn't mean we have to hand it to them. Hmm. John Cena. It doesn't... <laughs> I, I I, shouldn't be surprised, because John Cena is a creep. And, like, stuff... His appearances on, like, that Divas show, the man is, like, a walking red flag. And he's so corporate. But the shit he said about Vince, he said the four magic words... We all make mistakes. Uh, he said that. I mean, mm. I mean, look, this this is the man who recorded a groveling video to uh, the country of China because he acknowledged the existence of Hong Kong uh, yeah. and le- learnt enough Chinese to be able to apologize for acknowledging uh, Hong Kong at all. Oh yeah, uh, like like he's he's Mister Fucking Corporate. He he is a good little corporate face. Um, always has been. He's he's excellent at it. He is also just a a flag shagging, valor stealing weirdo. John Cena. Co- huh, I just I just yeah. can't see it. We uh, 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 uh. well, one thing we can't see is any empathy for the victims. No. Um, that that that's certainly something that John Cena is keeping hidden. It was amazing. Just. Kept saying that he loved Vince. Wouldn't say his name, but no. it's all, oh, it's so hard. It's just you love someone and you accept their flaws. And we all make mistakes. Accept their and it's flaws? Like, Mate, just, just, say, just, just say rape is bad. 
That's all he. That's all he had to do. Pretty much. Weirdly, yeah. weirdly enough, though, Bret Hart had no problem condemning him. Ooh, yeah. how 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 strange. Yeah. Bret, <laughs> Bret Hart was like, I tell you what, mate. I think after this, I'm done. If you had told me in like 1999, when I was sort of watching a little bit of wrestling because I worked with people who were super into it and it was the only social outlet that they seemed to have. If you had told me then that 25 years later, I would think, (laughs) you know what? This Shane McMahon guy maybe isn't such a bad dude. (laughs) If, If you told me that he's the McMahon that I'd wind up feeling sort of semi okay about, never would have believed you. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, he does seem to be the least evil McMahon. Yeah. Which doesn't say much. But if I were to let any of them, like, near me while I'm asleep, it would probably be Shane. <laughs> <laughs> so we got one other uh, news story this week uh, of of note. Uh, and this one is the continued story of Nintendo and piracy. Um, <laughs> so a little bit fucking late to the party... Nintendo is suing the creators of Yuzu, which is one of the two primary emulators that exist for emulating Nintendo Switch games. The other one being Ryujinx, if anybody is going looking for an emulator. I just thought I'd mention the name so you could go and search for it and make it a little bit easier. Yeah, that's the one that's not being sued at the moment. And I mean, look, I I will get into the specifics here in a second, but it, it... it is certainly... They're going after one emulator in a market where there is an emulator and an unpatchable, like, console-level glitch, and there's about to be a mod chip on the... Like, a, a flash cart on the market. So they're putting... They're trying to put out one of many possible fires in their, their piracy situation. But specifically, I, there, there seems to be a pretty specific reason why they're going after Yuzu. Cast your mind back to last year. Tears of the Kingdom is coming out. And it's like 10 days before the game's release and the game is leaked onto the internet. This is where Yuzu kind of got into, seemingly got into some trouble, is the creators of Yuzu have a Patreon, which is sketchy ground as it is, because that is making money off of an emulator uh, is going to draw a bit more attention to you. But specifically, the big difference between Yuzu and Ryujinx, as I understand it, is generally that while Yuzu might have better performance for a lot of Switch games, they have l- worse compatibility. So typically when a new game is released, the Yuzu team have to go and create an update to make the game work pr- the new game work properly on their emulator. Which means they're in a situation where, you know, Ryujinx is the first one people can play play a game in, but it'll probably play better in Yuzu and they've got a Patreon. So they'll sometimes paywall new builds of the emulator that work with a new game that is out. Sometimes they will advertise that fact. And Yuzu might have made the suggestion that if you pay us money by supporting our Patreon, you will get access to a build of Yuzu that we are explicitly stating will let you run the pirated It's Not Meant to Be on Sale Yet Tears of the Kingdom. And... It's harder for Yuzu to claim that they are an em- that they are about emulation but don't support piracy when they're explicitly accepting people's money to give them access to a build that will let them pirate a game that isn't out yet. 
a lot of Nintendo's lawsuit is like very generally complaining about like piracy and and the the wider situation around it. But it really seems like this is why they've they've zeroed in on Yuzu is we can point to an example of you taking money in exchange for functionality in the emulator that will allow people to play a game that should not be available yet. I get it, Nintendo. But it really does feel a little fucking late to the party to be trying to stop Switch emulation at this point. No, they're not trying. But they're not trying to stop Switch emulation at this point. They're trying to sw- stop Switch Two emulation because I think they do know that the 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 barn doors open, the horses are fucking gone on this, mm. and they have been for a long time. Now. There is it's it's about damage control. Yes, there will be a an attempt to sort of clamp down on the adoption of the software by them. You know, they want to keep people who maybe aren't using it already from discovering how fun, sexy, and easy it is to pirate Nintendo <laughs> software. But really, this is I think more aimed at putting a little bit of fear in anybody else who would think next time this is a good idea to try this. And mm. I, I want to say, oh, this is settled case law, but nothing is anymore. Mm. We can't trust courts in the United States to maintain consistency, let alone rule in the best interests of people. So mm. it's it's a little frustrating. The right to repair movement is, is going to have to continue to claw um, yeah. the ability to get to use the things that we buy in a way that suits us. Um, and it's it's going to forever be the battle. And it's, it's frustrating in a lot of ways because how we have sort of changed our approach in terms of what people are allowed to do with the technology that they buy uh, under the licenses that they are provided – in order to keep control of everything in the hands of the product's manufacturer, is mm. stagnating. It's, it's bad for us. When we eliminate ways for independent companies, for independent individual users to interact with, tinker with, and find ways, novel ways to use the items that we have, it prevents new competitors from entering into the marketplace. And that's not to say that, you know, we're at a point where we're going to see a whole lot of competition in terms of access to console manufacturing as a, a system or anything. That, that's not happening. But it is, from a preservation perspective... There are going to be so many things that we could have been doing over the last 20 years that these laws have prevented us from doing. And the, the, the sheer amount of stuff that has been lost, we can't calculate because it's gone and we don't know it exists anymore. So obviously, this is not a good thing. And we are sort of on a precipice of you know possibly having a reevaluation legally of what emulation is and can be and how we get access to the devices and the software that we use on a day-to-day basis. Mm. It's it's another opportunity for them to erode what little control we can have as consumers. Well put. Quick side note, on the mention of right-to-repair stuff, I, I, I'm, I, I've not had a good opportunity to mention this anywhere else. 
the Steam Deck is so user-friendly to repair, to do a self-repair on. I not used mine in a bit, and it was having trouble booting up, and the advice I got was to open it up and, like, unplug the battery and plug the battery back in, uh, which did sort it. I've never seen a consumer device that is that well, like, that deliberately labelled on its interior for self-repair. Every single cable is labelled as to what it connects to. Every single port has matching labels to tell you what end of what cable goes in there. Several of the, the ribbon cables have fabric attached to them, so you have a thing to grip onto and pull when you're removing a ribbon cable to pull it in the correct direction and not damage the ribbon cable. I've never seen such a user fr- user-friendly device for doing self-repair. I'll, I'll tell you what, I have my issues with the sort of guiding spirit behind Valve, but every once in a while, a libertarian has a point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah... Yeah, like that that is that is one moment where I was like I don't think I've ever opened a piece of electronics that was this like no nah, it's okay sort it out here's everything you need to know go for it. I didn't have anywhere else to mention that so I thought I'd drop it in there. Uh yeah, I think that's us done for today. Oh, I've right. done it. Okay. Well, thank you listeners for spending time with us on our unofficial Pacific Drive fancast, but <laughs> people might not be done. Laura, words, content, stuff, do, how? What? Word stuff, do, how? Yeah. Uh, Laura K. Buzz, pretty much everywhere. Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, Blue Sky, Mastodon, Patreon, that's the one that pays the bills. Uh, as little as a dollar a month over there really helps. Uh, I've got a video about Pacific Drive going up on Friday of this week. Also, at some point very soon you will get to hear the Sujimon rap as sung by Jonathan. Um, I have all of Jonathan's audio and it has been put together and it is a magical thing. I am currently stitching together a video of all of the Sujimon. Uh, This is is my magnum opus. This is the greatest thing I will ever create. Keep an eye out for it. This is my, my child. Uh, what about you, Conrad? Where are you on the internet? Oh, you can find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Instagram and Blue Sky. You can hang out with me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman. You could buy anti-capitalist propaganda and official Jimquisition merchandise at mercenarycreative.com. And everything that I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? James Stephanie Sterling. That's correct. Patreon.com slash Jimquisition. Uh, that supports uh, this show and the Jimquisition and the reviews on the Jimquisition.com. Um, <clears throat> still taking a bit of a break from wrestling. We'll have some news, um, especially uh, with regards to stuff we'll be doing around Pride. Um, but that's not to be said right now. Um, and hopefully news on Spectrum coming back soon as well. So until then, thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.